The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, episode 11, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist, and joining me, as always, is Kyle Posey. Kyle, by the way, follow him at KP underscore show, an account where you might find some fleeting. Kyle, what do you think of this new app thingy add-on that they have here to make all social media look the same? Copycat Lee, you know what they say about the NFL, baby. (laughs) Um, I think it's just it's a way to get us old heads out of here (laughs) because we don't know what it is. We're probably not going to use it. And if we do use it, it's going to be on accident. So here's here's my problem. There's a couple of things. Number one, I truly believe that everybody is thirsty. (laughs) Therefore, the whole reason that we tweet is for the dopamine. It's for the likes. It's for the retweets. It's for the engagement. Unless I'm missing something and I'm just too old to figure it out, you can't like a fleet. You can share a fleet, which is weird. Why not? Uh, Anyway, I don't get when I post a fleet, I don't care. Oh, 786 people saw it. I don't care. Like I get you get tweets with engagements that are like 100,000 people saw it. Like, okay, so you you, you want people to engage less with my tweets. All right, fine. That's cool. The, the second part of that is, okay, you can't like it, you don't get the dopamine, all that stuff. The third part, and I think this is the most disturbing to me, because when I'm on the app on my phone, I see a bunch of ugly mugs of people that I follow that have fleeted on the top. Can I remove that? Because that is going to keep me off Twitter for good, to be honest. So I use Tweetbot, and I have not seen any of that at all. I see no polls. I see no fleets. I am Twitter 2014, right where it needs to be, baby. Yeah, on the on the web, I don't see it, but on my phone, it's like incredibly distracting. Like you're just taking up space, and it, and it's not. Look, I, I'm cool with change, man. Like I, I'm I'm totally fine with that. I'm not, I'm not that old, but I think like when the 280 characters thing came out, like I didn't care. It was whatever. But like this is like you're changing this to an entirely different app, and uh, it's a brave new world that I'm not comfortable with at all. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about some NFL action, some Week 10 action, and we. We thank you, gentle listener, for joining us uh, through this season. If you're just joining, we thank you for uh, for coming in hot as well. But uh, the real ones know they've been around for a while, and we thank them for for the five star reviews that they've been leaving in Apple Podcasts, the written reviews as well. You guys have been awesome. If you could do more of that, that would be dope too. We would really appreciate that as we try to grow this thing. It helps people discover the network, all that good stuff. Tell your friends, steal your girlfriend's phone, leave a review, whatever you need. 
to do to show us some love and we'll show it right back to you. All right, let's get into it. So every week, what we start off with, and, and we're going to get into some cool stuff later on. Number one, Kyle's defensive MVPs are always great. Number two, we have Mike Renner from PFF joining us to talk about his excellent article on Lamar Jackson. We'll get into that. But first, we have to get into our top three quarterback performances of week 10 NFL action. Number one for me, the GOAT, Tom Brady bouncing back from only scoring three points to to firing off 46 or whatever it was against the Panthers. And look, we have talked a ton about the Bucks on here on this specific show as we continue to try to figure out what they are. And honestly, we should have seen this bounce back coming considering the roller coaster that they've already taken us on. Not much to say about this one other than Brady was really good under pressure in this one. Uh, he was also top three in completion percentage over expectation over the week. Uh, and what's wild about this one, he throws for 341 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And it could have been an even bigger, more bombastic outing against the Panthers if he had hit the deep ball where he was only one for four. So he left, he left some meat on the bone, but still had that fantastic production. Uh, the NFC South got really interesting with Drew Brees going down with an in with an injury and all those fractured ribs and the lung thing and everything. And, and keep in mind, even with the blowout loss to the Saints, the Bucks have won four of their last five, including curb stomping the Raiders, Packers, and Panthers. Unfortunately for them, they've got the Rams and the Chiefs next, uh, both of those at home. The Saints got somewhat lucky in their timing of the injury with Brees because it's the Falcons, Broncos. Falcons and Eagles as their next four games as they try to cling on to a lead. Let's go to the decision desk. Uh, Kyle, do you think the Saints are able to hold serve with that schedule or is the wild card factor of Jameis uh, too much? Is it is it too close to call? That's going to be fascinating because what we saw just last week, Jameis has already reeled it back in. There were a few throws where Tampa Bay Jameis would just let it fly, let it rip. We saw on Sunday against the 49ers that he's just checking it down, playing it safe. And I wonder how much Sean Payton is in his ear. I wonder how much of just watching Drew Brees and knowing that this offense is going to run on, you know, quote unquote, dink and dunk and just be efficient, move the ball like that. So if that's the type of Jameis we see where he is, you know, more conservative, I do imagine that th that almost hurts the Saints because – I think Jameis's best assets are his arm strength and just willingness to go down the field. So it'll be interesting to see how we you know the real Jameis, what we see when he has a week full of practice and reps, because yeah, it's a fascinating because as you mentioned, Breeze is going to be out for a while. He's probably not going to come back maybe what, what, three, four weeks at the earliest? Yeah, IR is on the table for him, so it could be a minimum of, of three weeks. And the doctors are telling him to play it really safe because of the, the lung issue there, the collapsed lung that he has. Like, it, it looks bad for him. And, and, and with Jameis, like I mentioned it on Monday Football Monday, the difference between Jameis and Drew Brees couldn't be bigger when it comes to intended air yards, you know, deep ball frequency, all that stuff. So I really want to see what this Saints offense looks with him, knowing that he's going to be the starter coming into the week when they go and uh, play the Falcons next. Let's go to number two on my top three quarterback performances of the week. Let's go to Matt Stafford. And uh, I'm going to get a little bit nerdy on this one, Kyle. So bear with me because I feel like breaking a couple plays down here. But on the day, 23 for 33, 276, three touchdowns. Never mind that the Lions nearly blew it because their defensive mastermind head coach couldn't stop half of Alex Smith. Uh, Mark Schofield uh, pointed this out on a video breakdown on Twitter, and I'll try to do justice to what he was talking about in an audio format. But uh, this was just about savvy manipulation for Matt Stafford throughout and also having the arm talent to back it up. So the first touchdown. 
The 55-yard one to Marvin Hall, for example, he's got Kendall Fuller, the cornerback for Washington, trying to read through the route and to Stafford, trying to get his eyes into the backfield. Stafford knows this, sees this, takes advantage of this by giving the slight pump fake little shoulder action. Fuller bites, thinking that there's a comeback or other some type of intermediate route happening. Hall is able to zoom right by. Uh, Fuller is left grasping at straws. Easy rainbow for Stafford to complete. Uh, next touchdown, the 27-yarder to Marvin, Marvin Jones is a little more complex. So the Lions come out with a bunch to the left. The football team is overloading the right side of the line. Now, Stafford changes the protection. He puts a slide on to the right to deal with the potential blitz. Since he's sliding the protection to his right, he knows he has to account for Montez Sweat on his left side. So he motions the tight end in from the bunch, puts him into the formation. This gives him the numbers that he needs to ensure that he's got the time for this thing to develop. And he's going to need it because these are vertical routes. So on the right, he's got a sluggo. On the left, the slot on a deep out. On the outside of him, Jones is running a fade, which he kind of like leans towards the, the sideline. He'll eventually target Jones on that. But at the snap, Washington goes from a single high look. They rotate into an inverted cover two. So that deep safety in the middle of the field is going to drop down into the intermediate area. And now the two outside corners are responsible for the deep halves. You may have seen this play in Madden. Personally, I hate this coverage, but that's because the Eagles have tried to run this for years with Jim Schwartz and their cornerbacks never, 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 never read it right. Uh, anyway, they can do this because they, they bail out of the blitz at the snap, Washington does. So they've got seven guys in coverage. And with the tight end, remember, Stafford sacrificed him for protection. There's only three routes. So how do you get a guy open deep when it's three on seven? Well, Stafford does a great job with his eyes and shoulders working that sluggo to his right. Jimmy Moreland, the corner on the backside that has that deep half responsibility, he lets Stafford pull him towards the middle of the field with that body language. That brings him closer in line with the vertical stem of the deep out from the slot. And remember, he has deep half. So there's Jones running the vertical to the pylon with an open window. Stafford has the arm talent to make that throw after a shuffle to his left. He makes the throw for six. Big brained, yet subtle stuff from Stafford throughout this one. He's got the arm to back it up and take those deep shots when the coverage breaks down or provides him with a window. Kyle, I think my fear for the Lions is that Stafford is going to be good enough to carry them into a mediocre season, and that keeps them from firing Matt Patricia. When, when the whole idea of hiring Patricia to begin with was for him to make an average team a legit contender, he took over a good team, right? Good, talented team that they thought could do more that over the last four Jim Caldwell years went 11 and 5, 7 and 9, 9 and 7, and 9 and 7. Matt Patricia took that and went 6 and 10, 3, 12 and 1. Now he's four and five. Why is the leash so long on this guy, Kyle? Beyond me. I wish that there was an answer to that because it's so obvious that he's just not connecting. As a coach, it's not about what you know. It's about what your players know. And he is not resonating with his players. Whatever his message is, is not getting across. And we see it year after year after year. And Jim Caldwell, like, it was easy. He won. It's a bottom line business. And he won. And almost, I, I feel like he won right away. And Patricia, it's like, it's not like he has a bad roster. I would say that there are other teams in the NFL right now, the Arizona Cardinals, who have a much better, uh, <laughs> much worse roster. And they're just winning. So, yeah, I don't know what's going on with Patricia. I don't know how Detroit can still stand by this guy. If he keeps his job after this year, 
I mean, they're just oh, who knows what who knows what to say after that. And that was almost a catastrophic uh, collapse there in Washington that may have cost him his job. But unfortunately, like I said, this thing just keeps dragging out the mediocrity in Detroit. Let's go on to number three of my three top quarterback performances of the week. I almost didn't want to include Jared Goff here uh, because we know what this was, right? Against the Seahawks, he had the perfect environment to be successful. He was only pressured on 21% of his dropbacks, according to PFF. And that's about the number I would have guessed when rewatching this one. Still, I included Stafford, who was pressured less, partly as I noted, because the protection calls he made at the line. Goff is less adept at that. Uh, I, I will say I thought his pocket management was pretty good in this game. Regardless, uh, we've talked about what his ceiling is when he's kept clean, right? With, with as much shade as we throw at him. We understand that the ceiling is high when he's kept clean. On the day, 27 for 37, 302 yards, didn't throw any touchdowns, but also no interceptions, took care of business, took care of the ball. Uh, you just got to get after this guy and make a move a millimeter off the spot at the top of his drop. Seattle didn't really do that. But but look what happened when Miami pressured him, 38% of his drops. The guy folded. And coming off their biggest win of the season, I still find it hard to trust the Rams because the bottom of this thing can fall out against a decent pass rush, and it could be bad. And, and as I noted on Monday Football Monday, losing Andrew Whitworth at left tackle is a big one. It's something to track on that side for them. And I'll ask you this, Kyle, since this was something we talked about on, on Monday Football Monday, and, and I want your thoughts since it's such a tight race and you know that division well, there's three six-win teams in the NFC West right now. 49ers lagging slightly behind, but they are also the reigning NFC champs and coached by Kyle Shanahan. Who wins that division? Do you trust the Rams? Like, what what's going through your head on this one? Does the magic of the of the Hale Murray carry them through the rest of the season? What what's going on? I think what we've seen this season is the most consistent team are the Rams, just because the Seahawks they don't have a defense, they can't get pressure. Their best player or their best player on defense is a safety who cannot cover, but he can rush the passer. Yeah. I just don't see them being consistent. It's, it just doesn't seem like they have a plan on offense. It's too much of, hey, Russ, just go out and win it for us. Yeah. And what we saw last week is that's what happens. Like Eventually, he's not going to be perfect. They are relying on him to be perfect, and that's not sustainable at all. With the Cardinals, as I mentioned, their roster is just not very good. I think Cliff's doing a good job of hiding some of their deficiencies. But some of his in-game decisions as a coach are just killing that team. Kyler and DeAndre are obviously very good. I, I still think that, uh, you know, as an offense, you can get by them. But the Rams, uh, Staley on defense, they're just doing such a phenomenal job. And then McVay is McVay still. And they seem to be ahead of the curve always. And he just has them playing very well. Obviously, you know, if you're going to have a 6-1 front like Flores did against the Rams, he's not going to have much of a chance. But – McVay just seems to have that team the most prepared. So I think the Rams are going to be the, the team that comes out of the NFC West. Did you want to did you want to expand on that a little bit more? You mentioned the 6-1 front because that's something that the that the Seahawks have done before to the Rams. It, it didn't seem to me like they were following the blueprint of how to really slow them down in this one. Yeah, what was crazy is the Seahawks were coming off of a bye week. They had an entire week to watch what Brian Flores did and Kid Norton watched that game and was like, "Nope, not going to do any of that. That does not look good at all." So <laughs> Instead of playing, you know, we're going to sort of load the box or load the line of scrimmage with guys, and we are going to force Jared Goff to beat us outside of the numbers. We're going to take away the inside crossers or the short slide routes, what they like to do, you know. Sean McVay's six plays that always work, <laughs> and he didn't do it. He kept, he stayed in like a too high and just let Jared Goff pick them apart. I just yeah. did not understand that at all. I can understand if maybe you're a little worried that you're, you don't trust your cornerbacks or whatnot, but – 
they stayed in that sort of front, that sort of look the entire game. And he didn't really make McVay adjust. So uh, he, it, it was just really frustrating, I imagine, for a Seahawks fan to watch that game, knowing that nothing, what we're doing isn't working, but we're going to continue to do it. And they've done the right thing before. Okay, so that's our top three quarterback performances of the week with some extra discussion in there. Normally what we do is we, we transition into a whole spiel about do you have a quarterback and all that when it comes to dud performances from the quarterbacks from around the league. And, and look, there were some stinkers. Russell Wilson was obviously pressing against the Rams. Nick Mullins is Nick Mullins. Uh, Jake Luton, Lutton, whatever, is a person that plays in the NFL. Uh, Nick Foles goes down after a real stinker. Luckily, it wasn't as serious as, as expected, but he was also pretty terrible in that game. Uh, there was also an article that I wanted to talk about. This was put out by Mike Renner of PFF. This caught my attention, and he was asking the question. It's something that, that we've been trying to figure out on this feed and talking with you, Kyle, and talking on Monday Football Monday. Is the book out on how to stop Lamar Jackson? So I decided to speak with the man himself, not Lamar Jackson, of course, but Mike Renner of PFF joins us here on the Palpably Unfair podcast to talk about that very question. Let's kick it to that right now. Mike, welcome into the SB Nation NFL show. It has been too long since I've seen your handsome face. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing great. It really has been too long, Michael. I, I miss <laughs> you, and I hope I get to see you again soon. Yeah, hopefully. Maybe the Senior Bowl. Well, I don't know. The I'm whole hoping. Corona. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But look, I have already introduced your fantastic article to the gentle listener, which, uh, look, it asked the question, is the book out on Lamar? So let's start with the basics here. Conceptually, fundamentally, what is the Ravens offense? It's built off of this these two tight ends, heavy sets, very, very similar to what, I mean, Greg Roman, the offense coordinator, very similar to what he did in Buffalo, very similar to what he did uh, in San Francisco when they went to you know the Super Bowl. They want to seemingly punch you in the mouth, you know, power runs, gap runs, that sort of thing relies on a big physical offensive line. But at the same time, it's not really quite that because it generates a lot of explosive plays. You think of that offense for the vast history of football, you're, that offense is getting four or five yards. Like that's, that's where it lives. That's its bread and butter. But because you have an athlete in Lamar Jackson, you have uh, just the way the running game is set up. You have these athletes on the outside for jet sweeps and end rounds and that sort of thing. Uh, the vast majority of their big running plays are coming well outside the tackles. And so it's kind of this power run game, this like smash mouth running game that generates big plays because they have so much speed and because they, with those option runs, they can get you going. They, they pack everyone in tight and then they can get to the edge very easily uh, and then run play action, that sort of thing off of that. So it's kind of counterintuitive in a way. <laughs> yes, like it's smash mouth spread to basically get big plays but they haven't been getting those big plays this year is the thing. Right, obviously. And let's let's talk about why that is and where that established. Let's start with, with step one, how defenses are limiting them or reacting to what they're doing. Uh, first, you know, we talk about it being deceptive. They want to be smash mouth. Well, you know, dime packages, which the Chargers were, were the first really to hit them with back in their 2018 wildcard playoff game. Why does this match up so well against the Ravens? It's kind of like what I just said. You have to match their speed you can live with three or four yards between the tackles if they're really going to hand it off and not you know if they're not going to have that qb keeper that gets to the edge you can live with that that's not going to kill you you're not going to sustain drives on just that alone 
And so you need to shut down those big plays. You need to be able to stop that. And so to have more speed to get to the edge, to track down the Lamar Jacksons, to track down the J.K. Dobbins is huge. And like you said, the Chargers laid the blueprint. And what I couldn't believe in going back and studying was that was two years ago or a year and a half ago. That was his rookie year in the playoffs. He only saw 70 snaps against Dime his entire 2019 MVP season. Teams did not follow that blueprint. I just could not believe it going back and watching through. He's already faced well over 100 snaps this season. Teams are realizing we need speed. We need to match the speed. Uh, even if they do have two tight ends out there and a fullback, we need to worry about the wide runs more than those runs right up the gut. And so I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen teams change against them. And, and oh, by the way, when you do have all those guys who are athletic out there, you just have a much better pass defense. You're not getting hit with tight ends over the middle near as much because they're just not getting open because you don't have as many linebackers out there that are susceptible to that sort of stuff. Yeah, and that is wild that it took him. It was it was there on tape in 2018. Right. He had a whole offseason. Yeah. He had a whole season of getting gashed, and nobody really adjusted to it until now. And speaking of what else teams are doing, in terms of the coverage that the Ravens are seeing, the traditional thinking is that to run man coverage against a, a mobile quarterback, especially as one as dangerous as Lamar, is death. But we are learning to rethink that philosophy. Explain what teams are doing in man that's so effective against Lamar. Yeah, so like you said, if you play man coverage, usually you only have one guy at most who has you know like a spy underneath hole defender who has responsibility or eyes on the quarterback if he breaks the pocket. And if that's Lamar Jackson, he's beating that one guy. You're screwed. You can't play man coverage. And so that simplifies usually the looks he gets, but he's seeing a lot more man coverage this year. Teams are either... Uh, I see a lot of teams taking away just the middle of the field defender against Lamar Jackson and putting them down in the box as a spy running kind of almost a cover zero, but with a spy there to where they're not worried about him hitting guys accurately against man coverage down the football field consistently. They're worried uh, about not giving him easy looks versus zone because he's great at understanding, anticipating throws, how his offense fits against the coverage calls that he's seeing. But when it's man coverage, like, Lamar Jackson's not that accurate a passer, and I think that's really showing up more this season, and teams are far more willing and doing some different things to try to be able to play more coverages against him and not give him those easy looks that he had in the past. So you're saying he's better at throwing to space, anticipating yes. space, rather than against those tight windows and putting it in a, in a certain spot mm-hmm. in, a, in a smaller, reduced, like, let's call it a laundry chute. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's the thing. Like People lose their mind over Lamar Jackson because – one, like there's the takes on him are bad all over the spectrum. Like <laughs> yeah. he's he's he is a quarterback. He is good enough at quarterback things. The you know the knocks on him at that have been far overblown. Yeah, but he is not still an accurate quarterback. He still misses on too many throws, and especially when you get down the football field, go balls. He has just never been good at that sort of thing, and so that's why teams are willing to you know not play with that deep middle safety. They're not worried about that. Uh, they're worried about him beating you underneath when it is man coverage. And and so bringing more guys into that area of the field. And so I I do think that Lamar, he's not been figured out to any, like (laughs) you're not going to figure out a guy who runs a four, three at the quarterback positions as dynamic as he is. But I think there's a list of best practices now that we've seen over the past year and a half work and teams are going to employ those more and more and more. And if you don't have, the dominant offensive line that they had last year. Now without Ryan Stanley and Marciana, if you don't have, you know, legitimate uh, talent at the wide receiver position where they're kind of just a middling group at this point, 
I don't see this offense ever getting back to that 2019 form. Yeah, the whole figured out thing, I, I find it interesting because the, the, the question is so simple and people treat it as such, but I really think the answers are complex and nuanced when you really dig into it. Like the read option stuff, people figured that out with, with Greg Roman when he had Kaepernick. Everything, like, you know, scrape exchange. It's like, dude, just scrape it, right? And then you got one-on-one with Lamar in the open field, and how many times does he make you look stupid doing that? So, yeah. like, it's 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 not that simple. And and when you look at the Ravens, are there other factors that explain the struggles of the, uh, the Ravens offense, uh, regardless of what defenses are doing to them schematically? Well, I think that's the thing about man coverage. It's like if you had, um, you know, the Cowboys receiving core, I don't, it doesn't care how, I don't care how accurate your quarterback is. Like you're going to be able to torch man coverage uh, and probably not going to get those looks. But when you have, you know, Willie Sneed's your second best option, uh, like Miles Boykin has just really not been that good as number two in Hollywood, as good as, you know, I think he is. And I think he's a pretty good deep threat. He's not a complete receiver and he's kind of limited if he's, you know, he's not a physical receiver by any means. We saw him get bodied on an out and up and almost cost, you know, a Lamar pick uh, yeah. last, this past weekend. So, I just do think that that is also limiting him and that the talent around him, if we were talking about any other quarterback in the league, we would say the talent around him is, is not that great. Like it is a mediocre group and especially the offensive line now is an issue. So I think that plays a big factor in it as well. That's because Marshall Yonder retires. Ronnie Stanley, Stanley goes down with the ankle injury. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different factors. How do you see this unfolding for the Ravens? Like, like what do they need to do as a counterpunch to avoid a Rams-like post-Super Bowl slump? And what's your faith in this getting turned around for both Lamar and the offense this season? Well, I think just kind of what I said off the top, if teams are – if you're not able to consistently move the ball and with how inaccurate Lamar has been – uh, and if you can't generate big plays in the running game, you're going to have to find a way to do it. And now they've almost been forced into that with the Nick Boyle injury, the ugly injury suffered this yeah. past week. They just need more speed on the field and to go more spread. Uh, like you can't you can't fool teams with a smash mile spread if if you really don't have uh, the horses to run it now without the tight end. Like you need to get big plays to score if you're that offense just trying to sustain drives with the running game underneath passing game with Lamar has not been working. So I do think that is their best bet. You have guys in Devin DuVernay, J.K. Dobbins that can fly. Get them on the field more. Uh, just get more, uh, like I said, spread to this offense, more lateralness to this offense, and and get some space there going for Lamar because I think that's the most dangerous sort of thing they have going for them right now is they are fast. Like that, That's a lot yeah. of speed you can put on the field. And speed, I, I don't care if you got ball skills or not, it still can play and still can worry defenses at the NFL level. Yeah, I could see some more manufactured touches to DuVernay and, and, and guys like that and really starting to embrace that spread instead of disguising it so much. Mike, thank you for so much again. Guys, you got to go read this article on PFF. You got to follow Mike on Twitter at PFF underscore Mike. Uh, Mike, I know you do podcasts, you do all this other stuff. Let the listeners know what you're up to because uh, we're definitely going to have you back for draft season number one. I want to put that out there. You're going to you're going to be on this show a lot, but uh, let them know what you're working on. We're going to find you. Yeah. Now I've just kind of transitioned to draft fully. You know, the first few weeks I was really working on mostly NFL, but I got the draft guide is coming end of January. I'm yeah. diving deep into that right now. Can't wait to do so. Uh, it's going to be, I think, 200 players, our first iteration of that. You can go get that with any PFF subscription. You can follow me on Twitter at PFF underscore Mike and Good Lord, am I excited to dig into these prospects. <laughs> you got a podcast too, right? Plug the podcast. Yeah, I like I got a podcast, two for one drafts. It's a little niche <laughs> podcast. We go deep into draft prospects, rookies. Not quite for everybody, but we make some uh, mom jokes and some, you know, we have a good time on that. Whatever you call it, a niche podcast. So modest as always. He's been Mike Redder. Mike, thank you for joining us. For sure, Michael. Appreciate it, man. 
Back here on the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 11, SB Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with Kyle Posey. So we did our top three quarterback performances of the week. We had our interview with Mike Renner talking about Lamar Jackson, incredibly enlightening stuff. Kyle, let's get to, to your specialty. Let's get to the three defensive performances of the week. And each week, we go to each level. We go defensive line, then we go linebackers, then we go defensive back. So let's go to a guy in the trenches for the Green Bay Packers. Who are you really impressed by in Week 10 action? I try to stay away from the same dominant players that we talk about every week. And recency bias would have said that this this should be Khalil Mack, just because what we saw in Monday Night Football. But I'm going to go with Darius Smith with the Packers. I really loved his effort against the Jags. He made an impact against the run. And it wasn't just him being a pass rusher. I thought that he had great effort all game. When you look at him, he was taking on blocks. He was shedding blocks. He made a stop. He was using a bull rush, a rip. On the same drive, he had two stops that really forced the the Jaguars to punt. And obviously, he's not going to make this list just by being a run defender. He got after the quarterback plenty. And as I mentioned, he used that rip and bull rush move to get in the backfield. On Luton's interception that he threw, Smith actually had a hand on Luton's shoulder pad, and that affected the throw caused the interception. Smith ended up having a sack later on in the game where he rushed from the interior, and that kind of just speaks to his versatility. We talked about last week how defensive coordinators try to get mismatches and move their guys around, and that's what Pettin did with Darius Smith. On the afternoon, Smith finished with six stops. He had a sack. He had a quarterback hit, and he also had three other pressures. He was just active all day, man. He was a pain in the you-know-what for the Jags. I loved it. Love it. I got to check that one out. I haven't I haven't really gone back and watched the Green Bay Packers' performance uh, quite yet from the defensive side of the ball. But this is why we have this show, because Kyle can tell me, hey, this person was good, and then I can go say that I watched him and be like, hey, this person was good, and it sounds really smart. And that's what you should be doing, gentle listener. Okay, let's get to the second level. This is a guy that I did see last night in the Bears game, and he was literally all over the place. Uh, linebacker for the Bears, obviously you know who it is. It's Roquan Smith. So let's let's talk about Rich Homie Quan for a second, Kyle, because, man, he was dominant. Rich Homie. Yeah, <laughs> so we didn't talk about Mac. So how about we just keep it with the Bears and talk about the linebacker Roquan Smith. Roquan leads the NFL in tackles for loss this season. He is second among linebackers in pass breakups. And he's a blur, man. He's he's just lightning fast. But it's not just speed. And we saw last night where he had a sack on Dalvin Cook where he ended up kind of running through him and then he tracked down Cousins. He also had another block in the second quarter where he took on a lineman, sniffed out a screen, and made a tackle for uh, the loss in the backfield. He was everywhere on Monday night. Ubiquitous, even, some would say. Uh, <laughs> Smith had – he finished the game with 11 tackles. Nine of those were resulting in stops. So he is making these plays around the line of scrimmage. Like, uh, he leads the league in tackles, but those can be misleading because you could be making tackles nine and ten yards down the field. So it's nice to know that he is actually making an impact – on the defense with these new age linebackers you have to be able to run you have to be able to cover and that's who Roquan is against the Vikings he allowed 19 yards on five targets I think we saw a player that wasn't really thinking and you, you see that with a lot of young players he was just out there playing ball Monday night was really impressive for Roquan so that's my pick for the linebacker yeah when he gets to fire his gun you, when you know he's keyed in he's really special and you mentioned those stats like this is the second week in a row I thought Roquan had a really dominant performance because against the uh Tennessee Titans he 10 tackles, eight run stops, right? So one less than, than this last week. Negative two yards in coverage. How about that for, for Roquan sniffing stuff out? So uh, he's been really good over the past couple of weeks. Go watch him, man. That's a really fun linebacker to watch. Let's go to your, your third level. Now, there was a guy I told you, if you didn't include him, 
that I was going to write, and it was a guy that I talked about on Monday Football Monday, so I, I, I didn't want to get too far into the guy, but you said there is a unit that you really liked, and I big time agree. Which unit of cornerbacks, which duo really impressed you in Week 10? If we're adjusting for competition, it has to be the Rams because Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are arguably the best duo in the NFL. Uh, many would argue that both of them are top 10, top 15 receivers. So we have to start with Darius Williams. He's been good all season, and he's played well against Seattle. So he competed at a really high level against those top-tier receivers that I just mentioned. Williams was targeted seven times. He only allowed two receptions had two interceptions, two pass breakups, and these were impressive plays. Like, he's diving, leaving his feet, just selling out to make these plays, and he should definitely be lauded for his performance. But mm. I want to talk about the guy on the other side, and I don't think we've talked about Jalen Ramsey all season, which is bonkers. We are in week 10, <laughs> and we haven't talked about the best cornerback in the NFL. So Jalen Ramsey lined up against DK Metcalf on 30 of his 42 routes on Sunday. Metcalf was only targeted on 13% of those routes, so four times. He had two catches for 28 yards when he lined up against Ramsey, and that's per next-gen stats. If you just watch every route on that game, Metcalf looks like a rookie. Metcalf looks like a day-three pick. Ramsey did not respect him, which is insane to me <laughs> because he is cutting him off on the top of his routes. He is turning and running with him stride for stride. DK Metcalf is running double moves. And Ramsey is still in phase, in position. I've honestly, I've just, I don't think I've seen a cornerback performance like that against that tier of a receiver all season. Uh, the Rams looked really smart after the fact, you know, when they traded all those picks for Ramsey, gave him that big deal. This is the game you want to point to mm. to justify that deal because Ramsey was, he looked like a superstar. And that's what you want to see for your lockdown corner. So uh, you, you just have to give credit to both Williams and Ramsey for how they played against those receivers this week. And maybe there is like a trickle down effect with Ramsey and Williams because Ramsey allows you to just go, okay, that one guy has that one dominant receiver and he's going to shut him down. Now, Keep in mind, you, you mentioned Lockett as well and Williams. The duo of Metcalf and Lockett were kept to their lowest totals, catches, and yards on the week uh, for the entire season. So it's not like Williams is a bum. Like you said, he made some great plays on the ball, and, and I really like him. Uh, but Ramsey allows you to go, okay, there's that one guy. We can shift coverage this other way. It's kind of like on off. Nate Tice mentioned this on Twitter. And I thought it was really interesting. He said it was galaxy brain, but I thought it was a good point. You know, the Cardinals can go three by one, you know, trips and then you know, that backside guy and that backside guy is DeAndre Hopkins. You know, you're going to get a bracket on DeAndre Hopkins that frees up your other three guys on the field side uh, to, to work with a little bit more freedom, a little less attention. And that's what Ramsey does. And, and Williams, man, six interceptions in 10 starts is a wild stat. The guy's backstory is wild too. He was initially rejected as a walk-on at UAB. He was working as a flower delivery man to get by. Goes undrafted, gets cut by the Ravens a less than a, a month into his tenure there. And boom, he goes from picking daisies to picking off Russ twice. Dude Hello. has tremendous ball skills, uh, playing supremely confident. So I thought he had a really great week, and uh, I'm glad I got to talk about him twice. Uh, some other guys that, that, that I want to talk about here, I, I am celebrating the return. I'm swooning over Browns guard Wyatt Teller. He goes down with an injury. He misses week six, seven, eight and nine with the bye. Uh, they have their three lowest rushing totals in that stretch, right? Watch this starting from week one. 138 yards rushing, 215, 158, 307, and then he only plays 14 snaps when they get 124. That was our lowest total at the time. Now without him, 75 yards rushing, 82 yards, 101 yards, 
Okay, now insert Wyatt Teller back into the lineup. 231 freaking rushing yards, man. And yes, I know Nick Chubb missed essentially the same kind of window, but Kareem Hunt is no slouch. He's averaging 4.7 yards per carry. It's about Wyatt Teller, man. This is the most dominant guard of the 2020 season. Getting him back is a massive boost for the Browns running attack. They definitely needed him in this close one against Houston. Uh, some other guys that, uh, as I look around the league, uh, a good week for Everson Griffin uh, in, in his uh, debut with the Lions. Four quarterbacks hits and, and a sack. He's a good compliment to Romeo Aquara who is having a great season uh, offensively we are going to have to review this wide receiver class because from the from the 2020 draft J- Justin Jefferson is just bonkers uh, uh proving a lot of people wrong saying that he couldn't work on the outside couldn't work against press I mean the guy's killing it also another great week for Stefan Diggs Marquez Valdez Scantling broke my heart a little when he toasted uh Sidney Jones but it going <laughs> Going back to the rookies, Kyle pre-draft, I was a big fan of Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. The 49ers ended up taking him 25th overall. Over the last three games, he has 21 catches, almost 300 yards, two touchdowns. What's the role for him there in San Fran? How excited are you for his future? Yeah, he's he's doing great, man. They're putting more and more on his plate, and he is answering every time. So they've had they've been banged up just in a way that I'm I don't think any other team has been. Ayuk continues to develop, like he continues to add things to his game. Uh, this past week, he's beating Marshawn Lattimore on a simple slant route. But for a rookie, you don't really see him widen his stem to create space. You don't really see these head fakes. You don't see, you know, the, the rocker steps that he has. So he's adding all these different types of, you know, at advanced level wide receiver things, traits, whatever you want to call them. And he's also catching the ball in traffic. He's adjusting to the flight of the ball in the air. He just looks really, really good. It's no question that he's going to be a number one receiver. It's just a matter of the 49ers finding a quarterback. You know, Kyle Shanahan said today that he expects Jimmy Garoppolo to be his quarterback in 2021, which is a little noncommittal with the way that's worded. I'll have to watch it myself and see the tone and inflection there, but it's not exactly the most confident statement. Uh, what did you think of that, Kyle? Did you see that? Yeah, I was on the call when he said it, and <laughs> it was it was just completely taken out of context. Okay. He, um, he added at the end, like he, so that obviously that wasn't his entire statement. And um, so he added. Well, I'm, oh, hold on, I'm ready to. I'm ready to run wild with it. Let's hit the music and the show. So what he said at the end of that was, "We've got, we've got to take it one game at a time." And I hope Jimmy can be a part of this. But to think that we've made any decisions on anybody going into the future isn't the case. Okay. Jimmy won a lot of games for us. It's harder to win games when he's not here. We're just hoping we can get him back. So okay. he could have easily said, "Jimmy is our guy," and left at that. Right. Good old Shanahan added in a qualifier because he cannot help himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's Kyle Shanahan for you. Speaking of quarterback news, dude, I, I just saw something come across my timeline. My number two quarterback performance of the week was Matt Stafford. Check this out. This is Tom Palacero tweeting uh, as we're recording. He says, quote, test revealed Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford has a partial tear in a ligament in the thumb on his throwing hand per sources. They'll take the week to see how he throws the ball, but Stafford is as tough as they come, and the expectation is he starts Sunday against the Panthers, end quote. So he had that performance with a torn ligament in his throat. You throw in the ball, right? The thumb is an integral part of that. You could take away a lot of different fingers. You take away the thumb, you got a problem. I mean, that was Drew Brees last season. He had an issue with his thumb and missed multiple weeks for that. So Matt Stafford, tough as heck. What a baller. Doing it all for Matt Patricia. Would you believe? What a guy. He deserves Can we say he deserves this? Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> Not Stafford, obviously. <laughs> right. Definitely. So, all right. 
That is going to do it for the Palpably Unfair podcast, episode 11. Kyle, any any closing words, any any fleet plans to get out there, strategies, marketing, social media, what you got there? I'm just going to fleet every time I get blocked by somebody. <laughs> I'm going to end up doing a lot of fleeting events, brother. <laughs> let me tell you. All right. So let's get on out of here. Remember, subscribe, rate, review there at Apple Podcasts. It really helps out the feed. We hope you enjoyed the show and enjoyed our guest, Mike Renner. We thank him again for stopping by. I've been Michael Kiss. That's been Kyle Posey. Go dominate and have yourselves a day.